Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So we have been having a parenting workshop uh, every Wednesday night this summer so far. It's entitled Arrow Making. Uh, because the Bible describes our children as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. And so we've been talking about how do we raise our children to know Christ? How do we, uh, when all is said and done, they know the Lord, they love the Lord, and they serve the Lord with their lives. And, and um, the reason that we're having this workshop, and, and we did something last fall again for parents, and the reason we keep focusing on parents, and by the way, this sermon is not on parenting or child rearing, But the reason we do that is because of something that we believe. We believe that God has entrusted children to parents to train up those children, to raise them, like I said, to know God, to love God, to serve God with their lives. And so he's given parents that responsibility and that privilege. So we believe that God has done that. And as we were talking one day last year about parenting and our ministry to children and how do we you know, make disciples in these areas, and it just became so clear to us what we were talking about, and then Matt here verbalized it for us as we were sitting around with the pastors. He said, you know, he said, if we had to choose between having a youth group or training parents in how to raise their children, we would choose to train parents in how they raise their children, okay? Because parents have the greatest influence on their kids, greater than anything else, for good or bad. Parents have that, that role. And, uh, but we, we wanna have a youth group and we wanna do that and we do that to help you, we do that to reach kids uh, too. But the point is, is there was something that we believed and because of what we believed, we made certain decisions and began to live that out as a church. Well, the same thing's true in our lives. What we believe, really believe at any given point in time determines the decisions that we make and what we do. And so many times when we think about our beliefs, we think, about, okay, I believe this, I have this list of things, right? I could go over, here's the list, we believe this, we believe that, I believe this, I believe this other thing, I don't believe that, and have this list of, and it's really intellectual stuff, but when push comes to shove, sometimes we don't live by it. And the reason we don't live by it is because we don't really believe it at that moment. We'll talk later in the sermon, uh, remind ourselves what we mean when we're talking about belief. But so what we believe really, really matters. And one of the, the biggest areas of, uh, that's so important that we get right is what do we believe about God? What do we believe about God and how he works in our lives. What do we believe about God and, and how we have a relationship with him? It's really important that we get that right because if we don't get that right, we will be believing wrong things about God which will lead to wrong you know, ways of thinking, which lead to wrong responses. And, and, and depending on the magnitude of it, we can end up way off where we're supposed to be. And it really does affect everything. And so we've been in the book of Romans this summer and uh, specifically, this is the third week, we were in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and we kind of grouped them together. Uh, and 
like I said to you three or two weeks ago, that it is not uh, my normal approach to things to stand up and say to you, hey, this belief is wrong, this belief is wrong, this belief is wrong. I don't usually do that. I want to teach you what the word says, and, and those things become fairly clear as we do. Uh, but there are some things that are very commonly believed about chapters 9, 10, and 11 that really are misunderstandings of what the text is saying, and it results in believing things about God that aren't accurate. And then you believe things about God that aren't accurate, see, that begins to color a lot of other things. And so we did focus in on those things. Specifically, we focused in on the idea that these verses are sometimes used by people to say that God chose who he was going to save and by default then who he wasn't going to save, remember? Uh, the doctrine of election. The Bible teaches the doctrine of election. Election means choosing. And what some people say is that means God says, I choose you and I choose you and you and you and the rest of you I don't choose. We don't believe the Bible teaches that. We believe that God chose everyone who would believe. Everyone who would receive Christ, he chose them. And he knew who they were before the world ever began. But he did not, he chose anybody everybody who would believe in Christ, okay? They are the elect. And and that leads us to say that Jesus died for everybody. He didn't just die for these individuals that God chose. He died even for the ones that will never receive him because he genuinely loved them and has provided them a genuine opportunity to respond to him and be saved. That shows you how much he loved, that he loved and gave the opportunity even knowing they wouldn't take it. And then the fact is that when the gospel comes to us, we are able to respond to it. Not because of anything in us, but because the gospel brings with it that ability to respond to it. And so we we wanted to say that it's really important that we understand these chapters in the proper context or we could arrive at some wrong conclusions. So it's really important what we believe. uh, don't forget the first five chapters of Romans was about the gospel, just laying it out, how whether you're Jew or Gentile, we all come to it the same. You remember the problem between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church? The Jews with this long heritage and all their traditions and beliefs and the law and the Gentiles who didn't have any of that and the conflicts that came because of that. And Paul is addressing a lot of those things. And he really says the gospel is the great equalizer, isn't it? Because it doesn't matter where you're coming from in life, when it's finally time to stand before God and and, and get a relationship with him, we all come the same way. How we got there may be from someplace different, but when we come before Christ, it's about acknowledging that we have sinned, that our sins have separated us from him, that our sins will send us to hell, that Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins, rose again from the dead, and by faith we can say, okay, I I receive your gifts forgiveness and eternal life, I receive Christ as my savior. And so the first five chapters really nail that down. Chapter six, seven, and eight talked about, you know, the problem of trying to live this. How, if, if God has saved us and he's changed us so deeply inside, why do we still struggle? Chapter six, seven, and eight dealt with that and we look closely at that. And now chapters nine, 10, and 11, and just, I know this is still review, so hang in there with me. Chapters nine, 10, and 11 begin to answer this question for people asking, well, but what about Israel. I mean, 
1,400 years we've had this law. God made all these promises. He promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob a kingdom. He promised to David a kingdom. And now here it seems like, yeah, a a, a whole lot of Jews believed and became followers of Christ, but not the majority of them. And the nation of Israel isn't following Christ. And and it's like God has set them aside. And now he's, he's working through the church and through all the Gentiles that are in the church. And But what about Israel? I mean, God made promises to Israel, didn't he? Is he going to keep them? And so this is what chapters 9, 10, and 11 are about. So in chapter 9, you know, we're talking about the fall and rise of Israel. Chapter 9 talked about God's sovereign choices. And if you remember, he says in there that he chose to bring Christ into the world through Abraham. And when he did that, He chose not to bring Christ through the rest of the world, but he chose to bring Christ to the world through Abraham. He chose to bring Christ to the world through Abraham's son Isaac, not Ishmael. He chose to bring Christ to the world through Jacob, not Esau, okay? All the way down to Christ. But he did this through the Jewish people. Those were God's sovereign choices. And we saw that when the gospel came, when Christ came, uh, there were Jewish people who believed, but there were a bunch who didn't, and it says, then uh, chapter nine, that they stumbled over Christ. They wanted to hang on to the law and try to be righteous by the law and to, to, to humble themselves before this man who says he was God. You know, they just weren't, they stumbled over it. And so we saw that, that the, you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the central issue of life, right? He is the central issue of life around which everything else needs to revolve. And the the Jewish people as a nation did not see that, did not accept that. And so we saw in chapter 10 that God did what? God, he gave them offer, but they refused it. And this is why the Bible says that he set them aside. He set them, he set Israel aside, but what? For, For now, not forever, but for now, because they didn't believe. And in chapter 10 there it talks about, but how can they, you know, believe in Christ if they don't know about him? How can they know about him if, they, if nobody tells them, right? And so we said it's important that you need to believe that you need to share Christ with others so that they can believe. Very, very important. And that brings us up to chapter 11 today. And we're going to see that God fully intends to restore his people Israel. And when he does, he will do it by faith. So let's turn to chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And if you uh, don't have a Bible with you today, uh, there's one under the chairs there. We encourage you to follow along with us. It'll make it a lot, uh, I think, uh, more profitable for you. And we'll be on pages 1304 and 1305 this morning. Romans chapter 11. So the chapter 10 ended up with, with uh, you know, very clear that God has set aside Israel because they have rejected him. They have refused him. Chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? And the idea is cast away, threw them away. No, we've seen that God has rejected them as being how he's going to bring Christ to the world. Because how's he bringing Christ to the world now? Through who? Through us, through the church, which is primarily Gentile. Not completely, but primarily Gentile. 
So he's now bringing Christ to the world through us. And so he has set aside Israel, but has he thrown them away? No, he hasn't thrown them away. He made promises that he fully intends to keep. And then Paul here says, let's look at it right now. He says, we know he hasn't thrown them all away because the rest of verse one, he says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. All right, so let's just talk about this. Um, Paul is saying here, and we're gonna see it, but he's saying that there were Israelites who got saved and are saved at this time in Paul's writing, right? So God hasn't thrown all Israel away because here we are, people like me, Paul says, the Jewish people who were saved, we are here. And it's, it, uh, Paul describes them, them here as the ones that God foreknew. What did God foreknow about them? That they would what? Now, I'm not necessarily going to answer out loud, but I'm trying to help you think through this, right? What did he foreknow about them? He foreknew that they would come to faith, that they would receive Christ as Savior, okay? And you see, so remember, this is the whole issue all through this, that Israel did not seek a relationship with God on the basis of faith. They wanted it on the basis of the works of the law. And so this whole idea of, of belief. So let's continue then. He says, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. If you remember, Elijah was the one, the prophet who, who stood against King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And uh, he, he stood against them and the false prophets. He had that whole contest with him and the prophets of Baal. God showed himself so powerful, so strong that he was a true God and Baal was a false God. And, and Elijah is so exhausted, worn, worn out, he runs away and, and goes and hides. And he's feeling real bad for himself because he feels like he alone is left. Nobody else is left. And so that's what this is talking about. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? God answers him, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Again, God's saving, his choosing of those who would believe and be saved by grace. But so here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that just like Elijah thought, I'm the only one, when in reality God had people. And so he's saying, yes, God has set aside the nation of Israel and all of those who aren't believing, but he does have a remnant. There are people like me, Paul says, who are believing there are Jewish people who are believing. So God has not totally thrown away his people. Hasn't done it. So let's continue. And by the way, let me just, let me just elaborate on this. We, we see, um, how are we saved? We are saved by grace through faith. Okay, so it's, when, it's that point when we come to believe. Now how are we able to do that? By God's grace, right? that he gives us the opportunity, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. When the gospel comes, we are able to understand it. We are able to respond to it. That's the grace of God at work. But I want you to see, it's interesting. When we, tend, when we contrast something with works, we find ourselves contrasting with one of two things. We either contrast it with faith, right? Faith 
and works, or we contrast it, grace and works. What's the difference? Well, I think here's the difference. I think it's, it's which perspective are you looking at it from? Because from God's perspective, who of us deserve to be saved? None of us. And yet he loved us and moved toward us. And, and Jesus came and dies for everybody in the world, right? The whole, that is God's grace, isn't it? And God says, I'm saving, but not, you can't earn this. Forget it, you can't do the works, not gonna happen. I don't care how religious you are, not gonna happen. It's just, it's too late. You gotta be perfect and you're not. And so by grace, I'm giving you this opportunity. And so grace is, is about God's perspective and that's what he contrasts with works. And, and then but when we think of it, yes, it is God's grace, but rather than works, we say we're made right with God by what? By our faith, by believing. And so really they're the, the same idea, but one is more from God's perspective, grace and works. And the other is from our perspective, we, faith contrasted with works. So let's read here. Verse six, he says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. And you say, say what? You get that? So he's talking about it from God's perspective, but he says, hey, if it's grace, then it's not works. And that's the way it is, isn't it? We're saved by the grace of God. It's not of works. And he says, but if, if you try to include grace in works, then grace is no longer grace, because you've changed the meaning of the word. And he says the same way with the works. You're changing, you're changing the whole meaning of the words if you're gonna try to put those things two together. So Paul is trying to just make it so clear here, you cannot, when it comes to having a relationship with God, you cannot mix grace and works. You're either saved by grace or you're saved by works. And you're not saved by works, <laughs> okay? And what did Israel wanna do? They wanted to be saved by keep the works of keeping the law. He says, it's not, not, that, not gonna happen. That's not the way it is. Verse seven, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And we'll talk, says, hang in there for a minute. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. In other words, what they are using to, to strengthen themselves and nourishing them, nourish, them, uh, nourish themselves, let it be a trap to them, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. And let's go back up to verse seven. Last half, but the elect have obtained it. Israel hasn't obtained it because they've sought it the wrong way, but the elect, have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The rest were blinded. Now, let me just say to you, this is why when we talked about context, context being so important, because if you believe that chapters 9, 10, or 11 are written to tell us about personal salvation and how we you know, have our personal relationship with God and whether we're saved or not, what you start to arrive at is that, wait, God did choose this person and this person and this person and he blinded the rest of them so they, they can't see and so they can't be saved. Now I want you to think about that just a minute. And this is what's you know, been heavy on my heart about this issue. 
And before I go any farther, just let me remind you. Do you remember what we said about the uh, Christians who believe that God just chose? And you know, that Christ didn't die for all, just for the elect, and that you, know, you can't respond to the gospel. God has to save you and give you new life, and then you can believe. Remember what we said about them? We said, they love God, right? They serve God. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're not looking to put anybody down in, in a, a people. But this is important. This is why it's, it's on my heart so much. And that's this belief. Because if God just chose you and you and you, and then he blinded everybody else so that they couldn't see and be saved, and you start thinking about God, what do you think about God? What's he like? You see what I'm saying? I think it leads you down paths that are not consistent with the God we see in the Bible. And we start to believe things about God that aren't true. Um, And the ramifications go a long ways. But what I just want you to see is that if you think these chapters are about personal salvation, you're gonna arrive at conclusions about God that I think are inaccurate. If we understand it, which I believe here in chapters 9, 10, 11, that he's talking about how he's working in the world with respect to who he's working through and what's about Israel, and he's answering those questions, it's a whole different ballgame. Okay, so let's look at it from that perspective. What's happening with Israel? What's going on? Well, Paul says the elect, the ones God foreknew, the ones who would believe, they got saved. Like Paul and and all the early disciples, Jewish people, they got saved. They are a remnant, a spiritual remnant of Israel. The rest of them didn't believe. Did God give them a legitimate offer? Did he? Yes, time and time again, the offer came to them. It's, It's Christ, it's Christ, and they stumbled over that. They did not want to, to go with Christ. And so it reached a point where at some point God really, he said, okay, have it your way. I'm gonna stop trying to show you for now. I tell you what, if God stops showing you what you need to see, you are in a world of hurt, aren't you? But this was a judgment upon Israel. The unbelieving Jews, as a nation, okay, as a people, Israel. We're still not talking about individual salvation. We're not talking about whether any individuals could come to Christ or not. That's between, you know, God and them. We're talking about the nation of Israel. God has made it, though, at that time, so that he stopped showing them. I don't know about you, that's just, that is frightful to me. Can you imagine if all of a sudden God just stopped showing us what we need to see? But see, that's what happened with Israel. For the time, God set them aside. He says, you've made your decision, so here's your decision. You get to live with your decision. Verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? So he's talked about stumbling over Christ uh, as a people. They stumble over Christ. He says, was that stumbling so that they would fall and just be done forever? Was that why they stumbled? Was that the purpose? He says, no, no, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And so God allowed them to fall. Let me me back up. When you're parenting your children, 
if when they do things that are not right or they do things that are not wise and there are consequences that come into their lives. I'm not talking about consequences you bring into their lives. That's important. But I'm talking about what happens in their lives. If you always uh, um, rescue them from the consequences of their choices, what do they learn? They learn that there are no consequences to their choices. But if you let them experience, and I'm not talking about things that are going to ruin their lives, you don't do that, but you let them experience the consequences, the hard knocks, the difficulties that come in their life. And by the way, when they're older and they're in trouble with authority, you need to let them experience getting in trouble with authority. Because here's what happens. When you let people experience the consequences of their choices, it has a way of over time finally getting them to go, wait a minute, what am I doing? It, it has a way of making them look. And so you might think, it's, that's terrible. Don't let them experience the pain of their, you know, the consequences of the choice, the painful consequences of their choices. Don't let them experience that. You're not helping them. You're not loving them. And what you see is that God allowed the nation of Israel to experience the painful consequences of their choices with the desire that that would cause them to rethink where they were. That would cause them to look again and say, maybe this Jesus was who he said he was. And the fact that the Gentiles are pouring into the church, the Gentiles who the Jews look down upon, to tend to provoke them and again to make them look again and to see what's really going on here. Let's continue, verse 12. Talking about Israel, he says, now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are in my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be? but life from the dead. Let me see if I can uh, summarize this here for you. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Gentiles. I work hard to get the gospel with Gentiles because I want to reach as many Gentiles as possible. Not just for the Gentiles, but because it's going to provoke the Israelites, my brothers, by birth. It's going to provoke them to jealousy. And some of them may look at it and get saved because of it. You see what he's saying? Is that making sense or do I need to explain more? I'm reminded years ago when I um, was going to Bible college and I was selling cookware to make a living. Now that's a fun job. But I went and watched Zig Ziglar, if you know who he was, and he was talking to us about how to sell. And he would say, here's what you say. Have you sold yourself or do I need to tell you more? And so I'm kind of saying, do you understand or do I need to tell you more? All right. And so he's saying, hey, the fact that Israel has been set aside, the Gentiles are now pouring into the church, the, the, all across the world people are getting saved, you know, and so a good thing has happened. Even though Israel has been set aside, how good is it going to be when Israel is brought back in? Verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches there's, there's, there's more than we can cover here today, okay? So let me just, let me say this. Let me just jump into this illustration. He's going to talk about the root and the root of the tree being Christ and God, okay? And then he's going to talk about branches. These are the, the people that are growing out of this. 
He says, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, Israel, and you being a wild olive tree, Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And so the idea is, don't say, oh, look, we've been added. We Gentiles, we're now the church, the Jews. He says, don't do that. And remember, he says, if you do, wait a minute, where's your life coming from? It's coming from God and Christ, not from yourself. Let's continue. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in, <laughs> right? God broke them off so we could be in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, right? That's what it said clearly through you. The unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, he may not spare you either, Gentiles. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, in other words, they begin to believe, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. You see what he's saying? He says, don't, don't put, make yourself, oh, we're Gentiles and now we're in. He says, don't do that. Be humble. Let's continue. By the way, again, if you think God is talking about personal salvation here, you will start to conclude you can lose your salvation, couldn't you, from these verses? But see, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and what about Israel? Verse 24, for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, you Gentiles who never you know, knew God or had anything to do with God, you are grafted into God. How much more will those who are natural branches, talking about Israel, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All Israel will be saved. Remember we talked about that last week? When is this going to happen? When God has taken the church out of the world in the rapture and we get into this seven-year tribulation period, the seven years that's still remaining from Daniel's prophecy, when that comes, God is once again going to work through Israel and Israel is going to know that Jesus was their Messiah and they are going to preach the gospel in the world. They will be saved. That's, that's where it's coming. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake because they stand against you. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, God did choose. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. He chose David and said, I'm bringing Christ into the world and I'm going to establish a kingdom. I'm going to give you the land. All these promises I'm making to you. And it says those things are irrevocable. God is not going to change that. That is going to happen. But for now, Israel has been set aside. Why? Because they do not believe in Christ. Their unbelief. 
For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Really what he's saying is he's put one standard in place and that standard is belief. Belief in God, trusting God. That is what he has put in place. And so everyone who does not believe is disobedient to the gospel. But they can all be saved, can't they? They can all be saved the same way. The same thing that makes them disobedient now can be what saves them if they will turn and believe. And verse 33, and I mean, we've, we've just run so fast through all this, but Paul just says, look, it's a, God is big. God is doing amazing things, things we don't even know or understand. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And then he quotes from Isaiah and he quotes from Job and he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. In other words, who is God in debt to? Nobody. Verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Is God doing things that we don't see or understand? Is he? Absolutely he is. And that's what Paul comes down to. He says, look, I'm not going to go over it all again. I can't review what he said about Israel, but he says, God is doing something. He's doing something even though we don't see it. And so we see here out of chapter 11 that we need to believe that God is keeping his promises even when you can't see it. Even when you can't see it. And let's skip the next slide, John, and go right to the next one. Out of chapters 9, 10, and 11, this idea of belief is central all through it. Let's remind ourselves of what belief is when God talks about it. There's two things that come together to make belief. One is knowledge, right? You have to know certain things. I know who God is. I know who Jesus is. I know, you know what I'm like. I know these things. And here's what God has done. And then the other side of belief here is this trust. Okay, I know this. I choose to trust that it's true. I'm going to act upon it. And we put those two things together and we're talking about belief in the Bible. And so belief is central, chapter 9, 10, 11. The whole issue, all this issue about Israel and the Jews, and the, it all comes down to belief. What do you believe? Do you believe God or do you not? And so here's what I want you to get, if nothing else, out of these three chapters, and that's this, that the key to a successful relationship with God is choosing to believe him from beginning to end. Choosing to believe. Not just believe there is a God, not just to believe in God, but to believe God. Believe what he says. There are a bunch of politicians that I would say, oh, I believe in them, they're there, I believe they exist, but do I believe them? Many times not. And so we're not talking about, oh, I believe in God. No, yeah, that's good. But do you believe him? Do you believe what he says? And belief is not just knowing, but it's that then choosing to act upon what you know. It's so important because it's how we're saved. It's how we're saved, right? That's where it starts. We, we come to believe and we believe and God saves us. And not only is it how we're saved, it's how we grow. 
how we grow because we, we you know, God says something in his word and, and we, we understand it and then we say, oh, I gotta do it. And, and so we make the choice and we step out and we do it and then we experience it and it, it, what God said, we experience the truthfulness of it and it comes back around. That encourages us in our faith. And so we do it again, we step out and we believe. And so we grow. This is what Romans talks about growing from faith to faith. And then finally, uh, go ahead and put that next one up if you would for me. It's how we cooperate with God in his big picture purposes. Because just like the Jewish believers in Paul's day were struggling, how do we know? Well, God made these promises. Are they coming true? Are they not coming true? And the key for them to going forward with God was to do what? Even though they couldn't understand everything, even though they couldn't see everything, they made a choice to believe God. They believe that what God has said is true and I'm going forward with God. You see, because when you don't believe God, you put yourself in opposition to God. That's what Israel did. Don't do that. Make a choice to believe him because the key to a successful relationship with God is choosing to believe him from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you speak to us from your word. And Lord, I know there's so much information these last three weeks of, of wading through the word and it's so rich, Lord, and we have so little time. But I pray, Father, that we have opened our hearts to you and will continue to do so and we can see how everything in our life, everything in our relationship with you turns on whether or not we choose to believe. And I pray we would just see the the absolute total foolishness of not believing you. And that we would just open our hearts and minds and believe and do what you say. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for hanging in there through, uh, like I said, a bunch of pretty, uh, just a lot of information. Next week, Actually, the next two weeks. But next week, um, we have a guest speaker. He's not a guest. He's actually a member of our church. Some of you may not have met him, but Rick Benjamin uh, will be preaching for us. Uh, he was an interim pastor here at Adams Square Baptist Church for two and a half years. And he's a member here now. But So he's going to preach for us. And then the following week, Ken Gilming, uh, who's a, a longtime friend. We were, met each other when I was at Bible College, but he is now... Uh, the Dean of Students at Boston Baptist College, and he will be preaching for us two weeks from today, okay? And I will be away on vacation. So thank you. God bless you. Uh, go sign up for the Volunteer Appreciation Banquet. You're dismissed.